Today's message originated in the pulpit of Covenant Community Church by lead pastor Alan Ellis. Covenant Community Church lives to glorify Christ by making disciples who are growing in relationship with God in worship, then with the church in fellowship, and with the world in witness. Now, here's today's message. We are going to turn our attention to uh, the last few verses of the book, 2 Samuel chapter 12. As I've been reading in this, the life of David this week, I thought that we were now going to be able to leave some of the most assorted details of David's affair with Bathsheba behind us, but as we will see um, in the weeks to come, um, uh, the sordidness continues. Good to see Alan Pickett here today. Glad that he's ambulatory, putting one foot in front of the other. We're praying with you and for you, Alan. But there's a, there's a short passage here at the end of chapter 12. And so I, I've entitled this message this, this morning, A New Normal. It, one of the, um, one of the things that seems to be obvious about human existence is that the human race seems to be on a continuum of forward motion. Some people would say that human beings are, are making progress. And for those of us who are of a more conservative uh, bent, uh, this becomes problematic for us because it seems as though more than ever, we have to deal with um, change. And it, it is change that is coming, that is happening more often and quicker than it ever has before in human existence. There have been times of a similar uh, disrupting earthquake type change in human history before uh, the Reformation, the Renaissance. Um, but what makes our age different from previous ages of, of human experience is that the rapidity of change. A lot of things have contributed to that. Um, none so much as uh, in, in the same way that Gutenberg's invention of the printing press and the proliferation of books uh, made available then to people of all uh, classes and races, at least eventually, the ability to read, to better themselves. Uh, but the advent of television, uh, Al Gore's invention of the Internet, um, these are all things that now have uh, exponentially, uh, with uh, the speed of light, changed our lives. And so the phrase, a new normal, then becomes one that we're intuitively familiar with. Um, a conservative would like to be able to slow things down a little bit, to to uh, slow the rapid pace of change down. Don't change as much. A progressive, on the other hand, wants, uh, sees change and forward motion as a good thing, as uh, as inevitable. 
Uh, not necessarily to be questioned, but simply uh, we're along for that ride and we should um, encourage this forward move of progress uh, in all peoples. We've seen then that David's life uh, is changing forever now as a result of his sin, his self-confessed sin in, in chapters 11 and 12. And it's interesting, if you look at the text with me, we, we heard uh, Pastor Brandon read verses 26 through 31 in the 12th chapter. But that's one book in. And we often find this in the Bible, that there's a story contained uh, just like a, eight or ten books might be contained on a person's desk with a bookend at one end and a bookend at, at the other. And there are bookends in this passage. We, we end up in verses, uh, 26 through 31, going back to where the story began at the beginning of chapter 11. Joab is, is camped out at Rabbah, this Ammonite stronghold. And this is where the story began. This is where David got in trouble. Because if you look back at the beginning, of chapter 11, uh, the long verse 1, in the spring of the year, uh, the time when kings would sally forth or go out to battle, David sent Joab, and there we saw that characteristic word, which, uh, which is repeated in chapter 11, the word send. Instead of David going into battle himself, he sends Joab and you might ask, well, who is Joab? Well, Joab's been on the scene before. Joab is David's nephew. Uh, David has a sister by the name of Zariah, and Joab is Zariah's son. So there is, there is a blood tie here between David and Joab. Joab is the commander, uh, he's the general of, uh, David's army. So David sends Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. We've seen, of course, that that's, that's a problem because David is, um, he is denying what is a fundamental and basic truth of who he is. He is uh, the conquering hero. God has called him to subdue uh, the nations round about Jerusalem. And this sense of uh, in, uh, triumphal imperialism is a foreshadow. This is why we keep reading, the pa- keep reading the passage from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, verse 23, I hope you have it underlined. But that God, Paul picks up on this, that that whole, that whole David story in the Old Testament was to bring us Jesus, who is an offspring, who is the offspring of David. He is David's son. And so David, instead of fulfilling his calling, his purpose, he decides to stay at Jerusalem. And then the story unfolds, of course, when we do not walk out the purpose that God has destined for us, we get in trouble. How many have experienced that? And David gets in trouble, and 
This is trouble now that will follow him to his dying day. So while all of this is going on in Jerusalem with Bathsheba and David sending Uriah out to, you know, calling Joab back and saying, or or sending the note with Uriah to give to Joab to put Uriah up close to the wall in the heat of the battle where it would almost be guaranteed that he would die. Uh, the story isn't over yet. Joab is still camped out in uh, outside the walls of Rabbah, and that's where the story picks up in verse 26 and is finally consummated in verse 31. So Robert uh, Barron, when he looks at this passage, verses 20, 26 through 31, he says, this psychologically rich chapter, and really I could have spent a lot more time in chapters 11 and 12. I really wanted to talk this morning, or I had thought about talking this morning about uh, that verse in chapter 12, where in verse 24 it says that the Lord loved Solomon. And talk about the doctrine of election. But ain't nobody got time for that. And so, aren't you grateful that I moved on? We will come to the end of David's lives, life before we come to the end of our own lives. This is the hope, this is the aspiration that I have. So this psychologically rich chapter ends with a last look at the Ammonite War. David's military chief, Joab, has finally conquered the Ammonite capital of Rabbah, during the siege of which Uriah the Hittite was killed. So here's the other bookend. Here in the middle is uh, is the sordid chapter in David's life. It started with a siege uh, of the Ammonite city of Rabbah, and now it's ending with the city of Rabbah actually being conquered. Joab says something in his message that he sends back to David. Now, there's a few comments I want to make about this before uh, we, we see the lesson for today. Joab sends a message back to David and says, look, this place is about to fall into our hands, and you need to, you need to show up. David is still consumed with his, the, the details of his own personal life. He, he now has... Uh, suffered through uh, an affair, a murder, the death of a child. He has had to comfort and console his wife now. She's no longer Uriah's wife. It's David's wife. And now he's got to get, so to speak, back in the saddle. I remember uh, many years ago hearing about an old preacher out in California I could mention him by name. None of you would know him, but maybe some people uh, would. Um, but his grandson, his son was a pastor, and his grandson had been killed on a motorcycle accident. And this sent the old man, the grandfather, into a period of depression in which he took to his bed. He had always been uh, active, strong in his faith, uh, a leader, a church planner. Um, but this, this storm that was 
brewing on the horizon unaware to him affected him that way. His family didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say, had said all they could say, uh, tried as best they could to encourage him, pray with him, pray for him. But he, uh, if you watch any of the episodes of the Waltons, there's a time when uh, Zebulon Walton, grandpa, takes to his bed and he says, I, I just want to die. He saw a falling star one night out on the porch and he took that as a sign that it was his time to die. And in the Walton episode, he takes to his bed. Eventually, um, <clears throat> his son, John Walton, in his not quite Christian faith and his more secular uh, faith finally goes in and has a stern talk with his father, and his father realizes that his life isn't over, and he gets up out of bed. But as the story unfolded in California, there was a preacher friend of this man who finally went to the hospital and had a stern talk with him and told him that God wasn't finished with him yet, that he still had things to accomplish in his life. And somehow that uh stern kind of encouragement from a lifelong friend was enough to get him up out of that uh, depression and back on his feet to face life again. Joab, I think, is playing a dangerous game here between deference. Of course, he has to defer to David because David is not only his uncle, but David is the king. But he's playing a dangerous game here, dancing between deference to David and defiance of David. Ultimately, as we will see if the Lord gives us grace, ultimately, Joab comes off as a scoundrel. Ultimately, when David is dying and Solomon is about to take over uh, David's position as king, putting down Adoniah, who was another one of David's sons, claim to the throne. Solomon orders uh, Joab's death. And Joab, it, it's a tragic scene, really. Joab goes into the house of the Lord and grabs the horns of the altar and thinking that the house of God would be a refuge for him, but as he grabs the horns of the altar, uh, he's literally hacked into pieces. Now, all of us need friends who can, when we go through discouraging times, can have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with us. And Joab, I think, when he sends back to David, he says, look, you need to be here. This is what you do. This is what God has called you to do. You are, you are the all-conquering king. And Joab can't say, and someday one of your offspring by the name of Jesus of Nazareth is going to really fulfill this thing, and the whole earth is going to be filled, covered with, uh, filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the sea covers the face of the earth. And somehow that message from Joab stirs David in, in all of his imperial authority to show up. And then we have the details. The city falls. David removes 
the king's crown, uh, the booty, the stuff of war that now becomes uh, David's and the people's. It's, it's really, if you close your eyes and imagine the scene, what it looked like, it would make a great movie. So, this then, David is trying to find his way forward. He's had this, it's more than a hiccup in his life. He's trying to get back in the saddle. He's trying to get his feet under him. But it's going to be a new normal uh, uh, now. I like what uh, Pink says. Pink uh, has one outstanding a phrase about this incident in David's life. He, meaning God, prospered his, meaning David's arms, notwithstanding his aggravated sins. God prospered David's arms, notwithstanding his aggravated sins. So here is here is God. The, the thing that you have done, David, has disappointed me. Uh, you have as the Bible says, you have scorned the Lord. You've scorned me. Uh, you've not done the right thing. You've sinned against me. It, it displeases me. But God, in uh, in his grace, says, get up, get back into your rightful position. Start doing again the things that I've asked you to do. And so David returns to uh, Rabba and his arms are filled with uh, the booty of that battle. I've heard preachers quote this verse over the years, and and you'll see it's a familiar verse, Ecclesiastes. And remember now, uh, another connection that we need to make here with with the prospect of Solomon being born now is that. Of course, we attribute the Song of Solomon, right, to Solomon. We attribute the book of Ecclesiastes to Solomon. We attribute much of the book of Proverbs to Solomon. So here uh, in this verse, Ecclesiastes, which is, where is that? I keep losing that book over and over again. Is it some, where is it? It's after Proverbs. Yeah, this makes sense because remember the uh, the saying was that Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon when he was a young man. He wrote the the, the bulk of the book of Proverbs when he was uh, in in the strength of his middle age, and then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as an old man, looking back on his life. But look at this. In Ecclesiastes, I we often hear uh, people quote this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It says in verse 9, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. There is kind of a a fatalistic, deterministic uh, tone to the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon now is an old man facing his own 
mortality. And he's saying, you know, life isn't everything that people uh, crack it up to be. Now look what he says in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Verse And then keep reading, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. That's uh, the Old Testament characteristic name for the abode of the dead, both good and bad. There is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom after you die, we could say, to Sheol to which you are going. Now, we, we cannot quote that verse without some caveat somewhere, without some qualifications. Because frankly, there are things that we, opportunities that come into our lives, right? Uh, things to do uh, with our hands that God uh, does not want us to exercise those opportunities. So we have to really go to the New Testament to un- understand it uh, this qualification a little bit better. And so we go to the book of Colossians. So I'm just going to point this out to you this morning and then we'll be done. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It sounds very, whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with all your might. Sounds very similar to it. Colossians three twenty-three. Whatever you do, Work heartily, and now here comes the proper qualification for it and a New Testament understanding, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your, re- as your re- reward. So whatever our hand finds to do, we should do it heartily as though we were doing it for God. Now, I know in a lot of ways in our church we feel like we're we're a spinning top, um, and we're losing our energy. You know, when a top, how many remember a top or uh, what? What do they call those other things that spun? Um, and then they would, as they lost their speed, they would begin to wobble and gyroscope, fall over. And in a lot of ways, we feel like we're, you know, we're losing our our energy. That uh, we're about to topple over. And and I want to encourage you because uh, we're, uh, if everything goes as it's as we're thinking, it looks as though that Grow to Go wants to um, uh, lease. Uh, the use of the property for another six months. So that would start September 1st and and on March 1st of next year. So that means they would be here for a year. Um, I've, I've added, since this is not, our intention was that this was going to be a six-month trial so that they could see if the, the place, the campus actually functions and works for them. And it it does, because that's what I ask them over and over again. You know, is is this working for you? Is this, you know. Um, So our intention was that six months was a trial run, and that that at the end of that six months, if it worked for them, then they were going to purchase. They want to lease for another six months. So I said, well, that's not really, in some ways, I use the word loosely, inconvenient for us, 
So I, I, I said, well, we, we'll go another six months and it's going to cost you more money um, because of, of this. But we're, we're going to give you the first option to buy, at least by March 1st of next year, for uh, $1.3 million. And we will take everything that you've given us in rent and apply that to the down payment. So that would be, you know, that doesn't mean we're going to get write them a check back. It just means that they'll get a credit for that. Um, I did that because I thought, well, if they're really interested in buying it, that's, uh, you know, 6 times 6 is 36 plus 6 times 7 is 42. That's $78,000. I thought if they were really interested in buying it, then that might, it would be more difficult to walk away from that. Somebody saying, here, you gave us X amount of money. We're going to credit to you as a down payment. And what we've done basically is we're taking that money and putting it back into the building. The reason why it's so cold in here is because there's a new air conditioner that never got replaced that, and there's other air, two other air conditioners that we've replaced and there's, I've gotten bids for repairing the parking lot. So we're we're actually taking their money and folding it back into improving the building, and then we're going to give them a credit for that money too. I felt the, as though that if they were interested in buying, really interested in buying, or somewhat interested in buying, that that might sweeten the deal. It would keep us from having to list the place and pay 6% to a real estate agent. We could have, uh, it, it would, it would keep us from having to list a place probably for a year, probably a further reduction in price to get it sold. I don't know how, how many of you heard about up here on Gardo Court, you know, somebody being shot, murdered on Shepley, and then they took his body and stuffed it in somebody's backyard. And things aren't, Things It started with the, the murder of the man who owned the, the gas station up on the corner, and it hasn't gotten any, any better. Unless a great change takes place, well, Fountain Neighbors is going to end up like Glasgow Village. So I think it is expedient for us. I mean, we've been talking about this for 10 years. So that I, I've told them, so that if you're if you don't buy by March first, then uh, the building will be listed for 1.5 million, and I really want to put in there that you'll be excluded from from purchasing the property um, during the, the the agreement with the realtor. The lawyer says he doesn't think that's a good idea, and he's probably right. So that's where we're at. We're, we're at and. So people are saying, well, what are we going to do? Well, that's always been a legitimate question to ask. What are we, what are we going to do? What are we, um, I, I think that we're, we're seeing a chapter in the life of this church close. I think there is a new normal that beckons us. I always thought that the new normal was that we would be kind of a two-pronged attack that the church would continue on as a local expression of the kingdom of God and that Christy and I would would do uh, a, 
a different kind of ministry, a two-pronged attack that, that would be involved more in mentoring relationships and deepening people's walk with Christ. I think that uh, unless we have, unless God sends someone to us who wants to do what, what Christy and I have been doing for the last 40 years or so in this place, I think that our future as a, as a local church is probably in jeopardy. I do believe, however, that we can we can create a new normal that allows those of us who want to finish out the journey together to do that. But what we will be doing will not be, it will be more of a parachurch ministry as opposed to a local church ministry. Uh, now, some of you may be okay with that. Some of you may not like that. I don't, I don't think... I don't think what you like or what I like at this point is going to change anything. I think we're on a path that God is saying, you know, there's some doors he's closing, some doors he's opening, and and that is yet to happen, I believe. Uh, I certainly haven't tried to force doors open or slam doors shut. Uh, my my intention, as you well know, was we had two uh, uh, two young men who were more than able um, to ensure the future of this church, but that, for whatever reason, that hasn't worked out. So we got to get back in the saddle. You say, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, you whatever we are doing, we should do first of all. With, with our might, with our strength, right? Because I won't get today again to live. Whatever I do today, whether I fritter away, whether I stayed home in bed because it was raining and I didn't feel like going to church, or whether I got up and went to church, you know, people say, well, you know, it's just not the same at church. You know what? We, we've gotten spoiled in church. The, the popular church in America hires professional musicians to put on a, a concert on Sunday mornings and the people show up. And when you look around, you'll see that the professional musicians and singers are holding the concert and the people in the pew aren't singing, joining their voice in, not really lifting up their voice in praise and worship to God. They're like they're at a concert and they might be clapping their hands and looking around and they might be screaming and yelling when somebody throws out New Testaments in, into the audience. But trust me, Church is has changed, and 10 years ago, I told you in 2006, I wasn't going to go that way. I, I wasn't going to go that way. If you wanted to go that way, then you would probably, you know, find yourself getting unhappier and unhappier and un, unhappier until you went to some church that scratched you where you were itching. A concert on Sunday morning does not a church make. The church is the mysterious body of Christ. The visible church is the one who is confessing the truths that are contained in his word. But there is in that visible church the invisible church, which is known only unto God himself. It's a mystery. And it's, it, is a, it is a mystery that is not to be fathomed completely uh, by those of us who are faithful attenders. I, 
I frankly am shocked by people who at one time were, were so strongly planted in God's vineyard, and yet um, you don't see them today. And, and I'm not, I, I'm not, I am more than willing to admit that if there is blame to be placed, that it should be uh, placed squarely at my feet. But nonetheless, there's, there's nothing we can do to change that. And as we look towards the future, what, what sh- we should be doing what we can be doing, and frankly right now I think that we're doing what we should be doing, which is if it is... God's intention that Grow to Go should buy this campus, then we should be doing what we can do to augment that, to supplement that, to see that move forward. And then once that is done, look, somebody says, well, what are we going to do? Believe me, you will get a message early in the week where we'll be the next Sunday if that does happen. Everybody's going to know. It may be that we'll, we'll meet somewhere that's temporary. It may be that we'll lease some space. But what we will do, if you want to, if you want to join. Now, there, there are other people in our church who've been members of this church. And you heard me say it at the business meeting, uh, the last business meeting we had, that if you felt the need to go, if you felt the need to join yourself somewhere else, then you had my permission that I understood. But, I'm going to walk this thing out to some resolution. And that's why I've asked you to pray three requests for me that I would have the time, that I would have the health, that I would have the strength to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be here. And if it means singing two or three songs on Sunday morning and just a few of us, you know what? If you have a heart to worship God, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing in the church service. If your heart is broken to, toward God and you want to worship God, then you can, you can lift up your voice like, what was that? Florence, what was her name? I almost said Florence Henderson. That's not the right show. Florence Nightingale. No, that's not the right one. The Meryl Street movie. We went to see it last night. She sings. She was an awful singer. Yeah, yeah. She was an awful singer, but she loved to sing. And you might be an awful worshiper, but if you love to worship, it doesn't matter who's here, who's not here. I've said this for 40 years now. The success of any service depends on the people who show up, not the people who don't show up. So it doesn't matter. If we have a piano, if we have a guitar, if we have... If we have, what's that little thing? Gives you the right key and we sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. Or we sing, what's the song, Alan? Um, Great is the Lord and great. You know what? I can regress and still worship God. If you have a heart for God. Do we, do we understand how spoiled we actually are? We would, we're happy when we pay somebody else to praise and worship God for us. How, how is that any, anything else but idolatry?
I'm, if I didn't make you all mad, I'd try. Here, here, so, whatever, you say, what should we do? Well, whatever you're involved, there's plenty of stuff to do. Barry, Brandon, and Jordan show up. That's our Mexican lawn care crew on Saturday. Yesterday, Jordan, the third member of the duo, didn't show up for so I guess I'll have to call him, text him, and say, you know, que pasa? You say, well, well, you know, does does that help us get to where we want to eventually be? Yes. Yes, it does. You say, well, it's not the same. No, this is the new normal. But so I'm I'm Joab this morning saying to you, David, this is God's purpose. This is what he's called you to do. You need to get back up on it. You say, well, it's, you know, Somebody said to me the other day, he said, it doesn't really seem to be working out. Well, do we walk by sight or do we walk by faith? Are we, are we only fair weather Christians? Listen to Spurgeon. You know, sometimes Spurgeon, gosh, what a, what a, calling on his life as just a young man. I mean, he started preaching when he was still a teenager. Listen, one good deed is worth more than a thousand brilliant theories. So, we, you know, we can talk ourselves to death. This is really, this small talk is really killing the church. I mean, I'm talking about the, the worldwide church. We can sit around and theorize and say, well, I think we should do this. No, that's not right. I think we should do this. And no, this is the way we should go. You you know, what is available? How can you influence a person for Christ right now in your life? My mother told me that years ago. She said, "You, you, God will always give you opportunities to influence someone else for Christ. Just start with that. Just forget about the whole church growth thing, the whole thing that is somehow set in our mind as to what the American church should be. And just just say, you know what? When the opportunity arises during this coming week that I could influence someone for Christ, I'm going to seize that opportunity and I'm going to do it with everything that is within me and I'm going to leave the result up to God. One good deed is uh, is worth more than a thousand brilliant theories. Let us not wait for large opportunities or for a different kind of work, but do just the things we quote-unquote find to do day by day. We have no other time in which to live. The past is gone. We were, I, as much as I would like Jesus to come back, and if, God, if you're not going to send Jesus back, at least... Send Ronald Reagan back. As long, as much as we could become nostalgic about what was supposedly a better time in human history, the fact is you, you can lose yourself in nostalgia and miss the opportunities, the small opportunities that present themselves every day. Past is gone. The future is not arrived. We never shall have any time but time present. 
then do not wait until your experience has ripened into maturity before you attempt to serve God. Endeavor now to bring forth fruit. I'll close with this this morning. This is not a quote by C.H. Virgin. This is a quote again by Robert Barron as he closes out his commentary on the 12th chapter of the book of 2 Samuel. He said, this is one of the last glimpses given of the David of old. The boldly confident warrior who effortlessly accomplished his ends. And it is a reiteration of the imperial theme highlighted throughout the text. David's kingship over Israel is meant to grow into a kingship over the world through the means by which this imperial growth, though though the means by which this imperial growth occurs does not become plain until we hear the stories of the church's expansion in the Acts of the Apostles. That's why we keep reading this passage from Acts 13 over and over again. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the son of David. That was the claim that the early church made. The promise, the covenant that God made with David is now coming to its fullest fruition in this man, Jesus Christ. So we never know. Some 1,500 years later now, John the Baptist is going to lift up his voice in the wilderness and be the herald of the man who is David's son. I shared with the class last week a phrase from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. It's, it's a phrase that's been going over and over in my mind the past few weeks, the slow work of God, the slow work of God. Many of us are not patient. We want, to, we want to do an end run around God's best plan to get us to the end. So, look, if you want... Uh, here, let me, let me put it this way. We, we conceded many years ago that we were not the only church in St. Louis. There were many years when we thought we were. <laughs> because we had the truth. I'll say the truth, quote unquote truth. Or we had a truth. And if somebody left, then really the people that were that were, were still glued together, they kind of felt compelled to talk about that person. It's you know, sad to see them compromise. We, we, we heard that language, become a charismatic, you know, they, they left the truth. Uh, but many years ago, God dug that out of us, and, and we, we uh, hardly admit that we're not the only church in St. Louis. Secondly, we admit we're not the only good church in St. Louis. I think we are a good church, but we're not the only good church in St. Louis. Thirdly, it's no crime if someone feels called to some other church at this period in their life. I felt that we could move ahead on a two-pronged approach, but now I think what God uh, is telling us 
is that uh, we're going we're gonna to have to take the people that want to do this. You want to have uh, a deeper walk with Christ, and, and that's one of the things we talk uh, in, in this emotionally healthy spirituality. Part of that has to do with what I talked to the kids about the daily office, of a daily dose of putting your nose in the book, and hopefully you like you like the smell of what's cooking there, and contemplation. These things which will sustain us through the storms that are yet to come. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying that people who leave have done this, but if what you want, if what you want is not that, if what you want is a more miles wide, inches deep uh, program, show, excitement, inspiration, enthusiasm, uh, three easy steps to make you happy. Four easy steps to live with your wife, then that that's out there, and there are churches that are capable of doing a great job with that, and 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 that I don't have to say anything more about that. That's not what we're going to do. That's not for for many years now. You've you've heard it from me over and over again. That's so. What happens then is you get a slow attrition. You get people who say, well, I don't really believe that he meant that. You get people who say, well, I'll try that for a while. You get slow attrition, and that's what I and And I am, I obviously at times I'm disappointed with people's response to that, but I'm not bitter about it. God, I believe, is leading us into a new normal. And there are some people that are going to be on board with that and some people who are not. That does not... It it may disappoint me, but it does not embitter me. Frankly, we're we're in a better position. We got us the smallest group we've ever had, but we're in a better position financially. Christy marvels about this over and over. We're in a better position financially than this church has ever been in its history. That's not the only way to judge uh, the health of a church, but it is, it is one way. Often Christy has said, I wish my dad was alive so he could. The years of struggle to make a $1,500 monthly mortgage payment for 20 years in this church. So there's, look, there is plenty to be unhappy about. And if you want to be unhappy about it, then the devil will just make sure that you're the unhappiest about it on Sunday mornings. You'll be like, we were kidding about that. This I was saying to Christy, I said, Christy, try to get a better spirit before you go into service this morning. And Renee spoke up. She said, well, I went to the store looking for that better attitude, but they were all out of it. Don't you wish you could just go to Walmart sometime and said, Load me up with that better attitude. I'm ready to go to church right now. Yes, sir. Remember who was that on Saturday night? Remember? Then he fell on the coffee table. Load me up with that better attitude stuff because I'm 
by golly, by gum, I'm ready to go to church this morning. I got to... You know what all you have to do is when you come into this place and say, Lord, whoo, I don't I in, in and of myself, I don't have it. But here I am, broken spirit and all. And somebody, Mark begins to strum on the guitar, and Ricky adds to the bass, and Christy lifts up her voice, and we join in, and all of a sudden, what we are, we are carried away from our presence circumstances into the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. That's Jesus' commitment to the small group gathering. You show up, Jesus says, I'm going to be there. And if he's going to be here, then you know what? All of me is going to be present soon. For more information on Covenant Community Church, visit us online at www.covcomchu.org. That's covcomchu.org. Or give us a call at 314-869-4367. At Covenant Community Church... It's our prayer that the preceding message has served to glorify Christ and further God's work in your life.